0: With so much talk about stagflation, inflation, stock market bubbles, the pandemic, and the supply chain crunch, investors have every right to feel jittery right now. As central banks start preparing to withdraw their pandemic stimulus measures, now is the time to put your investment portfolio through a stress test to protect your financial future. Shielding your portfolio from market forces should be done at least once a year, experts say. While nobody can accurately predict when a crisis may happen, the best way to protect your investments is to globally diversify your portfolio across a spread of assets. But what are the red flags and how do you position your portfolio to hedge against market threats? Welcome to Pocketful of Dirhams. I'm Felicity Glover, the Personal Finance Editor at The National. Joining me today is Stuart Ritchie, Director of Wealth Advice at AES International who's here to help us learn how to stress test our investment portfolios. Before we begin, don't forget to subscribe to Pocketful of Dear on your favourite podcasting app. Welcome to the show, Stuart.
1: Thank you very much, Elisthi.
0: So there's a lot to think about these days with inflation threats of stagflation the stock market bubble the roller coaster ride of cryptos supply chain crunch and the pandemic all you know making headline news at the moment that's a lot for retail investors to be worried about so you know let's first get to the basics what does it mean to stress test your investment portfolio
1: it's a very good question and i think there's a lot of good points in there with what is going on in the world we are going through relatively turbulent time and there's there's lots of headlines um, that are impacting on financial markets and I can completely understand from a retail investor perspective how how nervous people can be over their investments uh, as well. So stress testing is a fantastic tool to be able to use and and ultimately we would describe it as the sort of the ultimate what-if analysis. Um, It gives us the opportunity to model different impacts, um, and how they will affect your underlying investment portfolio. So we can look at an economic downturn, uh, a financial crisis, or a number of other sort of worst case scenarios, and then the implications that each could have on your investment portfolio.
0: Can I ask why it's so important to do this, and how often you should be stress testing your portfolio?
1: I don't think you want to be doing it too often. I think probably on a an annual basis is is more than enough but ultimately the the point of doing it is to look to try and identify some vulnerabilities uh, within your financial plan or investment plan and then make some changes to help enhance the probability of its success so the, i mean there's no there's no real limit to the amount of scenarios that you would be able to test, but I think common examples that we carry out for clients are around extreme market volatility. So an example being what we saw in February and March in 2020, uh, the fastest bear market followed by the fastest bull market. But how would a client have felt if the market hadn't recovered quite as quickly and what that would have looked like for their investment plan moving forward? Uh, And also, if we have inflation, if that was to carry on um, at levels higher. Than it's been in the past. Again, what impact that would have on an individual's spending power moving forward?
0: So you mentioned putting portfolios through scenarios. You know, financial crisis, um, market downturn. What is it that you actually do when you when you put a portfolio through that?
1: So typically, what we're doing is we are carrying out, I would say, three tests within the portfolio. So we will look at the underlying asset allocation, uh, and that can be broken down to something as simple as growth assets and defensive assets. So growth assets being typically equities, um, ones that we believe will deliver a sort of higher expected return, and then defensive assets, which are typically bonds, normally government bonds. So we look to, to try to break down the asset allocation of the existing investment and understand how much is allocated to each of of those two pots. We also would look at the cost of those underlying holdings as well. That, that's all part of the stress testing. And then also uh, tax, Well, not necessarily relevant to all investors in the UAE, because there's zero income tax and zero capital gains tax. There can be taxes within certain wrappers uh, for investments and also sometimes on the domicile of the underlying investment. So those kind of three factors are what we would look at when we, when we stress test a portfolio.
0: Okay, so if I was, for example, to do this by myself, what would my first steps be to, to begin a stress test on my investments?
1: Yeah, so that, there's a couple of free tools um, that are out there. Vanguard have one, uh, JP Morgan as well, where you can look to sort of recreate your portfolio, now they might not be able to track your individual holdings, but if you can get sort of a brief outline and, and going back to the point I made about looking at growth and defensive assets, then that can help build a picture. You know, the, the standard portfolio that we we hear a lot about is 60-40. So 60% invested in growth assets and 40% invested in defensive assets. So if you can work out what the split is between equities and bonds, then that that's a great place to start. I think thereafter, you want to do pretty much follow the same format, have a look at the cost of the portfolio that you have in place. Again, you should be able to find that out from your fund fact sheets and from the different platforms that you're investing in. But what I would say is look further than the annual management cost. Have a look and find what can either be called the total expense ratio, the TER, or the ongoing charge figure, OCF. Now, OCF has replaced TER, so it should be relatively easy to find, but again, if we factor in you know, the average cost of a portfolio offshore is, is normally over 1%, then that ad- attached to inflation at 2%, 3%, say 3% inflation, you're suddenly needing to make 4% um, just to stand still. So again, cost uh, is something that needs to be factored in when, when you're looking at building that stress test and also tax. Um, because a lot of the fund fact sheets will talk about the dividends that you're receiving. And again, if the holdings are not domiciled in a tax neutral or tax free jurisdiction, then you could be giving up a portion of those dividends in tax. So I would say that having a look at asset allocation, cost and tax is a, a good place to start.
0: That's good to know. But what red flags should I be looking out for? Should it be, and I'm talking in terms of you know market volatility, could it be a stock bubble or could it be I've exposed my portfolio to too much crypto, for instance? Are they the sorts of red flags we should be looking out for?
1: Again, I think we would say that you're you're unlikely to know in advance um, what those red flags are likely to be. It's, it's, it's much better uh, going back to the initial point around growth and defensive assets to make sure that you have an asset allocation in place that you're comfortable with and that you can then rebalance on an annual basis, I think that we would say to our own clients and investors that it's best to try and tune out the, the noise that we have uh, around whether inflation uh, will impact on stock returns or or whether crypto is a place to, to look for returns and in, instead concentrate on, on what you can control, um, which is your behavior, the asset allocation within the portfolio.
0: So that's also about staying calm, isn't it? You know, that kind of um, you know, motto that they say, set it and forget it, but remember it at least once a year.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I think looking once a year, because what we what we don't want to happen is that you have what's called portfolio drift. So we would expect that growth assets um will outperform defensive assets and the, the stats hell is that three out of four years, the equity market delivers positive returns. So therefore, if you're not touching your portfolio, then you're going to start to drift towards a higher equity allocation due to the improved returns. So it is important to rebalance. Vanguard have carried out numerous studies around whether you should be rebalancing quarterly, six monthly, or, or annually, and typically due to the costs that are involved. And we're, you know we're not doing this to... To enhance returns, it's much more of a risk management strategy. But doing it annually, they found was the most successful and most appropriate. So, yeah, again, I think back to the Warren Buffett quote where he talks about sort of be greedy when others are fearful and be fearful when others are greedy. So, again, that's something that we we try to try to keep in mind.
0: Yeah, I think Buffett uh, Buffett is quite quite correct in that. Definitely, I'm also thinking of specific instances. So at the moment, we've got inflation. It's back in the news. It hit a 30-year high in the US last week. How can investors stress test their portfolio against inflation specifically? What should they be looking at?
1: Certain asset classes have different responses when we've seen inflation in the past. Of course, we can't say with any certainty what the future will look like. But typically, if inflation was to increase, then assets that are inflation-linked will benefit from that and assets which aren't such as corporate bonds are likely to struggle also equities you know the value of an equity is based on its future earnings now if inflation was to increase or continue to increase at the rates that have been talked about then that's going to have a negative impact because at a pound today a doesn't buy you the same in 30 years. If anything, a pound in 30 years, growing at inflation of around 2.3%, which has been over the long term, means that you need around two thirty to to purchase the same, or two pounds thirty to purchase the same as a pound today uh, in 30 years. So again, we we need to be we need to be careful about making too many predictions or, on what is likely to happen with inflation, but it. It should really be factored into your own cash flow plans as well. Again, we would say that you should be looking at including an inflation rate. You know, governments. If we look at the British government and the American government, they are targeting an inflation uh, rate of two percent per annum. Um, I think we we all know what the answer is when uh, governments and targets go together. They they very really, very very really hit them. And we have, as I mentioned, seen a rate of around two point three percent. Um, over the last kind of 30, 40 years, uh, we'd expect over the long term that it will come back to that, despite the fact that we're in uh, a, a period of time where inflation is at the highest that it's been in a long, long time. But again, I think that for ourselves, we, we want to think more about the cash flow plan than we do the underlying investments in trying to sort of get ahead of the curve. Because again, my own belief is that the markets will have already priced in Inflation. Uh, that's why we're seeing the markets price at, at where they are at the moment.
0: That's another thing. I mean, the markets—it's been on a bull run, you know, since it dropped the start of the pandemic last year. But what happens if the bubble bursts? How will I protect my um, portfolio if that happens?
1: Yeah, I, and and it will burst at some point. You know that that's what we've seen in the past. Um, I think that February 2020 into March 2020 were were a reminder for all of us that the market does drop um, quite considerably. The, the issue that we've had is that that hadn't happened in in quite a while. Um, some of us uh, are old enough to have been working uh, back at the dot-com boom uh, in the early noughties, uh, followed then by the great financial crisis, uh, where we saw some markets fall by over 50%. So what happened actually in, in February and March, the drop of 30, 34% in the US, um, is relatively tame compared to what we have seen in the past. Now, we need to be mindful of that. And again, it it links back to the first point I made around asset allocation. We need to be comfortable that we're holding enough defensive assets that we minimize that volatility when it comes, because it will come. We know that on average, the US market, the S&P, falls by 13% uh, every year. Now, if, if you know that's coming, you can be prepared for it happening and not react. Uh, like I said, when we we see people react to markets and start to sell out, uh, I know of people, um, thankfully, none of my own clients who who did sell out um, during the sell-off back in, in March uh, before the recovery on 23rd, uh, and then didn't want to get back in and ended up missing on, yeah, like I said, the fastest bull market of all time. So, Again, we, we need to be very, very careful uh, and ensure that the underlying asset allocation is correct. And again, we also need to bear in mind that you know shares are not sort of heavy objects being lifted up. They are uh, sort of tickets on companies, and we should expect those companies to continue to rise in all-time records or all-time highs in the market to continue to be set. I think we're up at almost 70 uh, all-time highs in 2021 alone. Uh, in the the US market. So again, uh, it's nothing to be afraid of uh, when markets are going up, but we should also expect them to decline. It's how the the world, how the stock markets work.
0: Absolutely. And I think uh, you made some good points in your answer there. Um, I remember the global financial crisis and everybody panicked. Retail investors panicked and all jumped out of the market. And, you know, it just continued crashing and, and, you know, it was quite incredible to watch, but then compare that to last year when the market dropped in, you know, February March, and there was a lot less panic, and people chose to stay in, which was good to see. Maybe they learned their lessons from GFC.
1: So I, I think potentially as well, there's there's more education around it. I mean, you, you guys do fantastic work in in putting that message out there, and and people becoming aware of. of the frequency that this does happen, although it has been a while. But, but I think as well, we're now seeing much more government intervention. Uh Quantitative easing was was an experiment that, that started after the great financial crisis. And again, I think that people became comfortable that, you know, we would see an intervention by governments and central banks if something like that was to happen again. And, you know, the coronavirus was a, a huge or uh, had a huge impact, and is still having a massive impact. There's still a number of companies that are certainly not operating anywhere near full capacity yet. And the strongest recoveries we've seen have been the ones who, you know, didn't necessarily necessarily have as much sort of manpower, and that were able to operate digitally. You know, that's why sort of Facebook, Amazon, Netflix, Google. You know, these companies were really leading the charge in the S&P. Um, over that, that period of time. But yes, yeah, it, it has been good to see, but you know, we, we did go through a sell-off and th- there would have been a number of people who did decide to come out of that time. And again, I, I'd kind of hark back to is why it's incredibly important to, to get that asset allocation correct.
0: Gold is often referred to as a safe haven investment during difficult financial times. What other options do retail investors have for safe haven investments if they don't want to go into gold?
1: Yeah, I, I'm not a huge fan of gold as an investment. If I'm honest, uh, the fact that it, you know, it pays no no income or coupon um, kind of rules it out uh, for me. Uh, again, I think that when we we talk about safe havens, I, I generally think that we're looking for something that still returns above inflation, and and ultimately the only asset classes that have continued to do that through time has been stocks and bonds. Now stocks have delivered the higher return, but ultimately are more risky and probably in this this term wouldn't be classed as a safe haven asset. So instead, in my opinion, you start to look at short term, high quality bonds or fixed income instruments, uh, normally government related. And of course, you can now by inflation-linked ones so that if we do see this inflation continue on for a sustained period of time, you would still benefit from holding those assets. But again, I think we have to be careful because when people talk about gold, you know, generally people buy into it after the fact and after we've been through these periods and therefore are likely to have missed out on that return. Again, I think that it then becomes incredibly important to think about the structure of the portfolio. And, you know, that can be done slightly differently because it depends on the age uh, of the investor is one way to look at it or or when you're likely to draw down on it. So as someone who I contribute monthly into a portfolio, so my allocation to safe haven assets outside of my three-month sort of emergency cash is zero. So all I do is buy equities because I know... Over the longer term, they're the ones that will deliver the higher return. Now, I expect to work for the next 20 years or so. So there's no reason for me to be cashing in investments. Now, that's a different story if you are 55, 60, uh, perhaps have a few, few more years of, of work left. I think in that case, holding a couple of years of your expected income in cash is a real safe haven investment. You're obviously not going to make any return on that given how low interest rates are on bank accounts just now, but it's readily accessible. I think potentially the next somewhere between three and five years, you would hold an allocation that's heavily weighted towards fixed income instruments, which would become that safe haven, perhaps with a slight um, tilt towards equities, but the vast majority in fixed income. That then takes you up to five years of income that's provided or seven years, depending on how safety conscious you want to be. Then thereafter, you should be in a portfolio that is heavily weighted towards equities, because even in retirement, the vast amount of your money will remain invested for you know, people are living till 85, 90 and uh, nowadays. So a, a large proportion of your investments are going to remain invested for a long, long period of time. So it's incredibly important to make sure that you're invested in assets that can deliver above inflation returns.
0: That's very true. That's some good advice there, definitely. And then finally, what other tips do you have for our listeners to stress test and protect their portfolios during difficult financial periods?
1: Yeah, I I think there's no question that it's a bit of an arduous task to stress test your portfolios. Um, You know, as a financial planner, we have the tools that are available to allow us to do that and to look at those three areas that I mentioned before. Again, I think as a an individual, you know, we we want to be looking at budgeting, um, having a think about contingency plans. You know, you. Even just the simple, the asset allocation. I know a lot of the the listeners will be well aware of someone like Andrew Hallam, who's done quite a lot of work around creating the couch potato portfolio and, uh, and understanding kind of what that asset allocation split looks like. Uh, rebalancing is key as well. You know, it isn't just sort of set and forget at, in terms of the long term. Yes, you want to do that. You don't certainly don't want to be looking at the markets on a, a daily basis or your portfolio on a daily basis, but you know quarterly or or annually, you certainly want to be having a look just to check those allocations and and where they're sitting. And again, if you put the the model in place at the start of last year, um, you know if you'd looked at it again halfway through the year, it would have looked very very different um, compared to by the end of the year. Actually, we saw. A positive return on markets that has then continued through this year. So it wouldn't be unreasonable if you'd been in fifty percent equity, fifty percent bond split, by now to be looking at in the region of sixty-five to to seventy percent in equities. Which again, if we were to go through a market decline um, similar to we saw a thirty-five percent, then you know how would you feel? If that was to happen, and it's a very difficult one to answer because I think until it actually happens, it's difficult to know how how you would react to it. And we we all say, yeah, we would put more money in, we would we would take advantage. Well, I can I can confidently say, having been around people for twenty years and witnessed a good few of these, it's it's much more difficult when it's happening because no one knows when the end is. It's very easy with hindsight to look back and and say, ah, I really should have done that. But you know, none of us knew. I think the March twenty third, twenty twenty, was when we saw the recovery start. Um, up until that point, yeah, none of us knew when the governments were were likely to get involved and when that was going to change. And again, a question we commonly get asked is, you know, should I hold some money back and wait for an opportunity? You know, keep some powder dry. I think is how they would describe it, and and put it in when we see these declines. Well, you know, people have to remember that we we hadn't seen a 20% decline since the great financial crisis. So you would have kept that money on the sidelines for an awful long time and still not made what you would have if you just invested and forgot about it. You know, I think, again, I heard a quote talking about Fidelity looking at the accounts that had had the highest return. And when they dug a bit deeper, that was because the the owners of the accounts had passed away (laughs) and the investments had just been left for a long, long time. Um, without without meddling and without trying to identify the next fad to take advantage of. And, and ultimately, if you have time on your side, then you have a fantastic opportunity, certainly in the Middle East, to accumulate wealth because we don't have to worry about income tax, dividend tax, capital gains tax, all the different things that apply in numerous countries around the globe. But yeah, you, you have to make sure that the asset allocation you put in place is, is right, that you can stomach... Some of the risks, or understand the risks and stomach the volatility when it when it comes because it will come. It, it's always it's always there when it comes to equity markets. But you know ultimately that's what gives us those returns that make it worthwhile. And we are you know buying uh, a cheap index fund um, and getting that broad market exposure.
0: Thank you this week to Stuart Ritchie, the director of wealth advice at AES International. If you would like advice on your personal finance issues, you can write to me at pf@thenational.ae, and remember, PF stands for personal finance. Please do subscribe to Pocketful of Dirhams on your favourite podcasting app to receive weekly updates, and also leave us a review so we know what you think. This episode was produced by Arthur Edison and Aisha Khan, and I've been your host, Felicity Glover.